It's a great song. In the shadow of God, in the midst of trial. And the only way we're able to get ourselves underneath His protection and His fellowship is in Christ. And that's exactly what we're going to talk about this morning. The question I want to ask this morning, one of the questions is, what, is it, what does it mean to be the church? What does it mean for a church to be the church? Is it enough just to put a sign outside of a building and have a phrase on the sign with the word church on it? And then you have a church? Or is it enough just to call ourselves the church? You know, the next several weeks we're going to talk about uh, what is the church? What makes the church the church? And if you say you are someone or you are something, then it would make sense that there are certain things that should be true of you. For example, if I tell you I'm a basketball player, you may believe me. But then if you've never seen me play basketball, or if you've never even talked to anybody who has seen me play basketball, you would begin to wonder, you know, what, does Ron really know how to play basketball? Or if I tell you I'm married to a beautiful woman, yet you never see her, and you never have talked to anyone who knows her, and I'm never with her, you begin to wonder, he said he's married, but I've never seen this beautiful woman he's talking about. Of course, I am married to a beautiful woman. She's sitting right here. So I, you know, you know that's true of me. But if someone were to say, you know, that's, I'm married to this person, and you never saw her or never saw anybody that knows her, you would begin to wonder if what he's telling you is true. And so it's one thing to say, I play basketball. It's another thing to be able to actually play basketball. It's one thing to be married to someone or to say you're married, but it's another thing to actually be married. And sometimes we put forward a false identity. And probably one of the biggest instances of this recently in the financial sector happened with a man named uh, Bernie Madoff. You know, Bernie Madoff was a financial investor, at least that's what he told people. And what he would promise is, he would promise to take your money and invest it on your behalf and earn you a very attractive interest rate. But actually what he was doing is he was taking the money and depositing it into his bank account to the tune of about $18 billion. That is with a B. Yet it all finally caught up with him. And in June of 2009, Judge Chin sentenced Madoff to the maximum sentence of 150 years in federal prison. Madoff apologized to his victim saying, I have left a legacy of shame. Judge Chin had not received many or any mitigating letters from friends or family testifying to Madoff's good deeds. Meaning the judge never got any letter saying anything good about this man from family or friends. And this is what the judge said. The absence of such support is telling. Chen also said that Madoff had not been forthcoming about his crimes. He said, I have a sense that Mr. Madoff has not done all that he could do or told all that he knows, said Chen, calling the fraud extraordinarily evil, unprecedented, and staggering. 
Even Madoff's wife had something to say about this. His wife Ruth did not attend court, but issued a statement. And this is what she said. I am embarrassed and ashamed. Like everyone else, I feel betrayed and confused. The man who committed this horrible fraud is not the man whom I have known for all these years. As you can see, it's, it's very easy to say that you are someone when you are really not. And so it takes me back to that original question. What does it mean to be the church? What makes a church a church? You know, Madoff could say, I'm an investor, but in actuality, he was not. He was putting up a false identity. And there are many things that characterize the church. Many values, many different marks that characterize the church. And we're going to see a lot of overlap, too, between what defines the church and what defines a Christian. And if you're a Christian this morning, what we're going to talk about should characterize you. If you're not a Christian, what we're going to talk about today is actually at the very core of what it means to be a Christian and to be a church that represents God in this city. This morning, we're going to look at the most fundamental, most significant, most important core value of what it means to be the church. To be the church means to be Christ-centered. And when I say that, when I say to be the church means to be Christ-centered, I don't want you to think about it like this. I don't want you to think about Christ being the sun, and we're the planets, and we're orbiting the sun. There may be some truth to that, but I want you to think of it more like this. Picture Christ as the sun, and the church is the light and the heat radiating off the sun. Because see, without the sun, there is no light. Without the sun, there is no heat. And without Christ, there is no church. And in Christ, we derive all that we are and all that we do. It all goes back to Him. He's the source. He's the core value of what it means to be the church. And so this morning, I want to ask two questions. And we're going to look at a passage in Colossians to seek the answer. The first question I want to ask is, why should Christ be the center of the church? Why should He be the center? And the second question we're going to ask together is, what does it look like for Jesus Christ to be the center of the church? And so to answer these questions, I want to turn your attention to Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And if you don't have a Bible, we have one in front of you in the pew. Feel free to, to grab that. And you can follow along. But Paul writes these words to a church in Colossae that is on the brink of being threatened by this teaching that is going to, that is kind of making its way in and it's, it's challenging and threatening the purity of the gospel in this city, in this church. And this is what Paul writes to tell them about Christ in verse 15 through 20 in chapter 1. He says this, he is the, the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him all things were created, in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. 
And He is before all things. And in Him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. That in everything He might be preeminent. For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things. Whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of His cross. So the first question I want to answer is, why should Christ be central? And in this short passage, I think we see three reasons why Jesus Christ must be central to who the church is. The first reason is that Jesus is divine. Paul says it in verse 15, He is the image of the invisible God. And then later in verse 19, He says, For in Him... All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. So Jesus is both fully man and yet at the same time, He's fully God. Listen to how one scholar describes Jesus being the image of God. He says, by using this word, meaning this word image, by using that of Jesus, he says, Paul in effect says, look at this Jesus. He shows you not only what God is, He also shows you what man was meant to be. Here is manhood as God designed it. Jesus is the perfect manifestation of God and the perfect manifestation of man. There is in Jesus Christ the revelation of Godhead and the revelation of manhood. And he goes on to say uh, this regarding the idea of the fullness of God dwelling in Jesus. He says, Jesus is the pleroma of God. Pleroma means fullness or completeness. This is the word which is needed to complete the picture. Jesus is not simply a sketch of God or a summary and more than a lifeless portrait of Him. In Him there is nothing left out. He is the full revelation of God and nothing more is necessary. I'm reminded of a conversation that Jesus had with His disciples in John 14. Jesus was telling His disciples that I'm going to prepare a place for you. And they responded with confusion like, Lord, where are you going? Where are you going to go? And so Jesus gives them a little more clarity about what He's teaching in verse 6 of John 14. And this is what He says. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through Me. So he's saying, I'm going to prepare a place for you to be with the Father forever. That's what I'm going to do. And so he's clarifying his teaching. And then he says, if you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And so Philip responds and Philip says, Lord, show us the Father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? This is exactly what Paul is elaborating on in in Colossians chapter 1. Jesus Christ, the Son of God and God the Father are one in their deity. They share in their divine essence along with the Holy Spirit. Yet at the same time, Jesus, 
God the Father, God the Spirit are all distinct persons, and yet they share in the one Godness of what God is. This is the doctrine of the Trinity. Jesus is God. And that's why He deserves to be central to everything we are as Christians and as the church. The second reason that Christ must be central is that Christ is the Creator. Paul says this in verse 16, For by Him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him, and He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. You know, it's one thing to create something. Like perhaps I could go out and create a, a, a neat instrument or a neat tool that you could use in your garden or to work on your automobile, and it would be a helpful tool to help you get a job done. But here Paul says, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, not only created all things and made these things useful to us, but he said he created all things and all things were created for him. He is the creator. He is the one who upholds it. He is Lord over it. And therefore, he deserves to be at the center of it. Specifically, the church. Thirdly, Christ deserves to be central in the church because He is the head of the church. In verse 18, Paul says, And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything He might be preeminent. Now earlier I asked you to think about Christ as being the sun and the church being the light and the heat that radiates from the sun. Well, here Paul's going to use a different metaphor. He's going to say Christ is the head and we, the church, we are the body. And what you need to see here is that the body, all the abilities of the body, everything the body is capable of, all derives itself and gets its ability from the head. So just as the body responds and receives direction and enabling from the head, so the church receives power and enabling from Christ. You know, in this body here, there are many different members. Just like in a physical body. You have different members, you have different systems, you have different organs, different uh, expertise, you know, different things you can do with different parts of your body, and yet they hold one thing in common. And they're all derived, they all derive their ability, their use, their purpose from the head. You cut the head off, and you cut the body off. The body's helpless, helpless without the head. And so Christ deserves to be central because He is the one who not only created all things, but created the church. You may ask, well, how do you become part of the body? Is everybody part of the body? Who is this body? Who is this church? Well, Paul tells us in verses 19 through 20 where it says, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. 
For us to be part of the body, to be part of the church, to be part of the people of God, you must be reconciled to God. And that is accomplished through the blood of the cross of Christ. And so it's through Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that you are brought from a state of being in debt to being free from that debt. You are brought from being in a state of sin to be, to be brought into a state of holiness and rightness with God. That only happens through the doorway of Christ. And so he says, Christ is reconciling all things to Himself. How is He doing it? Well, it's through the blood of His cross. That's how He's doing it. And so for those who place their faith in Christ for the forgiveness of their sin, they are brought into the family of God, the people of God, the church. And not only that, when Christ gave Himself, He not only accomplished redemption for those who have faith in Christ, but He also accomplished redemption for all of creation, meaning the created world. So God, through Christ, is going to make a new heavens, new earth, where we will dwell with Him forever. And so that is how we are brought into the body of Christ, is by placing our faith in Christ. So, what makes a church a church? Or, for that matter, what makes a Christian a Christian? The one core value that marks us off from any other group in the world and in the history of mankind is that Christ is central. What we believe, what we believe about Jesus Christ is foundational, is at the very center of who we are as a church and who you are as a Christian. You know, what we believe about Jesus separates us from all the other religions of the world. We stand and fall on what we believe about Christ. And because Christ is God, because He created all things, and because He's the head of the church, He deserves to be central in all that we are and all that we do. We derive everything we are, everything we do from Him. And you as a Christian, everything you are, everything you do should be derived from knowing Christ. Now the second question I want to conclude with is what does it look like for Jesus to be central? What does this look like? Well, if Jesus is all these things that Paul says He is, then simply put, everything we do and believe must come from Him. So whether it be how we plan vacation Bible school, or how we use our finances, or the songs we sing in the services, or what we teach in our small groups, whatever it may be, everything must come from this foundational belief of who Jesus is. And what He's done for us. Everything flows from that. We must be Christ-centered. He is the foundation. He is the cornerstone upon everything else, which everything else must be built upon. And this applies to us corporately as the church, and it applies to you individually as a Christian. If we call ourselves the church, or if you call yourself a Christian... There must be more to who we are than just a label or a sign by the road. Just like if I were to tell you, 
I'm a basketball player or I'm married. We can call ourselves the church. You can call yourself a Christian. But unless Christ is central, then we're going to be guilty of identity fraud. And so my prayer for us this morning is that Jesus will in fact be central to all we are, all that we do. He's worthy of it. And not only that, it's for our good. This is where life is found. Jesus is all about bringing new life, both to the individual as well as to the church. And my prayer is that we will have a hunger for God's Word so that we can know Christ better. And this will just more and more permeate through our life so that we can more accurately serve one another in the church as well as the city of Augusta. That's my prayer for us. And as we respond this morning with this last song, I want to ask you one question. If you're like Madoff this morning and you know, you, you've called yourself a Christian, but you realize Christ isn't central, then I encourage you this morning to embrace Christ. He's the only way that you can be reconciled to God. If you're not part of a church, I encourage you to join this church. Join a church that is seeking to be Christ-centered and to share the good news about Christ with the city of Augusta. And so now as we stand and sing, let's respond to the Lord, and I'll meet you here up front.